Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. This is Chef Tom Douglas, and I'm joined by my good pal, Mr. Thierry Roturo. The chef in the hat. Ooh, yes, la, la. sir. Absolutely great. When you, say, uh, when you say your name, you could be going around Green Lake, row to rowing. That's right. That's Whoa, right. that's a new one, Tom. <laughs> row to r- row. It's to like this. Row, row to yeah, row. Like it says. Uh, we are uh, happy to join you, and you join us here on Saturday and Sundays here on Cairo Radio. Uh, we're down at the Hot Stove Society Kitchen and School, downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia, right in the beautiful Hotel Andra. And, and just in case you've missed it, you can go back 22 years and listen to the show from every weekend. <laughs> That's right. I, should, I That's want to listen to an not, old one. That is not true. It's not true. Okay, no. good. The first, uh, over 10 anyway. years, the first 10 years of our show, we were live. It was. Yeah. No, it wasn't tape. Right out but into the ether. We've been doing this for 22 years. That's true. That's good. Uh, we have a large show for you today. Today's a good day to kind of uh, forget everything else and think food and wine and, and hospitality and gathering around the table. And I know it's hard to drop some of the things that are going on in the world, but uh, we try to give you a little respite here and, and think about uh, some of the deliciousness going on in the world. Uh, we have uh, peak of the season morels today. Have you been out? It's, it's not really time for morels, is it? Well, we should have some in the fridge because I'm doing a dinner yeah. tonight here oh, okay. in this building with morel on it. So. <laughs> yeah. It's like morels. They, when you want to pick morels, you have to, like, it has to... Rain and oh, it has to have a burn, right? Correct, correct. And then rain and then sunshine. Is that right? Yeah, snow, melt, and then spring comes around, and that's when the morel comes. Okay, so they, maybe they are out there right now. There are some. They pa- are. Just so it's clear, there are some places in the wood where it's actually sunny and it's <laughs> yeah, actually right. spring. Uh, and somebody tr- made a great joke yesterday that said that. Uh, Due to COVID, we took a hiatus of about a year. You know, everything is behind. Deliveries, shipping is so far behind. So spring will be in July this year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nutritionist Carly Knowles is going to join us. Uh, we're going to talk chia seeds. That sounds like a Pamela Hinckley segment. If uh, I she never... brought it up. She brought it up. Chia seeds, seaweed, and eating for a happy microbiome. Uh, that um, Terry, uh, uh, you're going <laughs> to lead that. You're going to lead that segment. <laughs> Terry, <laughs> fancy dinner with Cayuse Winery is right here at the hot stove tonight. You donated this dinner pre-COVID, right? Both Christophe Baron, the, uh, the, the vigneron of uh, Caius Vineyard, and myself donated this dinner for 20 people. Originally, it was going to be at Lule, but that was pre-COVID, and this was three years ago. So, yeah. um, you know, now we're finally getting to the point of, okay, let's do it. So, and so we're, we are taking on the job of hosting it. And you are going to be here directing our team tonight. That's right. Uh, in putting out a five-course dinner. We'll talk about what those courses look like later in the show. Versatile gnocchi uh, saves the day. So many ways to make them and eat them and, and sauce them. Let's talk about that. Everyone loves gnocchi. Did you ever notice that? Yes. Yeah. I think I have never seen anybody who did not like joke. gnocchi. Everyone loves gnocchi and there are quite a few versions of it as well get it gnocchi joke yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. gnocchi get ready for national coconut cream pie day uh, buy the book or take the class may 7th right here at the hot stove or and lastly of course we're going to finish our show today uh after two full hours uh we're going to finish with rub with love food for thought tasty trivia all right taste of the week i'm going to go quickly last night we were uh, doing uh, a big uh, thing over at the Paramount Theater oh, the for thief. Novani, the new documentary out about uh, the man who is uh, kind of was running against Mr. Putin in Russia for the president's oh, job. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. 
and lost and almost lost his life. Uh, was poisoned a couple of times, and uh, uh, he kind of went out and tried to figure out who poisoned him, and that's what the whole documentary is about. When I looked up the actors in the show, it said Novani. That was that's the only actor. Just named. him? Yeah, so I don't know if that's true or not, but um, I did look that up, and uh, we were doing a little opening and closing for that uh, event at the Paramount last night. I had an hour window in between the opening VIP segment and the movie start time, and so I ran up to Terra Plata uh, up there at uh, uh, Pike and Melrose, Melrose, Melrose and Place. Pike, yeah. God, I don't get there enough. That is such a good restaurant. Oh, it is a delicious restaurant. Uh, Tamara Murphy and her partner Linda run that place, and uh, Bill Morris was up there. Yeah. He's the chef there He's now. He's the chef. He's yeah. been the chef for two years, Tom. I did not know that. Uh, but uh, Where anyway, was he? he was Rainier Club. He was he with was, Jerry. Uh, he, was my, he was my chef de cuisine at Rovers at one time, a long time ago now. Yeah. And then he was at the Rainier Club for like 16 years, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been with, he was at Gourmando. And oh, right. Then, yeah. And then he went to uh, Tamara. So anyway, uh, Excellent I, I chef, the, by the, way. The, the one thing you cannot miss if you go to Terra Plata is the pork roast pig with clams, right? It's in a nice little, it's nice, a nice little uh, smoky paprika sauce. Uh, it's got a boiled potato in there, and um, it is just luscious. You just mm-hmm. want to eat every bite, but it's so rich and so f- packed with pork right. that you can't. Right. You literally can't. You can't finish it. No, I couldn't. Huh? I'm a pretty good finisher. Yeah, you're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't do it. Wow. Couldn't do it. Did you say with clams? clams yeah. yeah. It's like yeah, a Portuguese pork? it's like a Portuguese style kind of okay. And chorizo. Take, There's a little chorizo in yeah, there. Yeah, take too. a take on oh, the Portuguese dish of the clam and, and chorizo and also Peruvian, I think. I think But it's a, just roast pork and it's so like melt in your mouth tender mm. and I just gotta say, if you haven't been to Terra Plata in a while, it's time to go. Yeah. And uh, the if, only thing is take an Uber because it's very difficult to park in that neighborhood. Correct, correct. And so and if you don't know where that is, it's where the Starbucks Roastery is right, right there at, uh, at the corner. But they were there way before the roastery. <laughs> yes, the, yes, they were. And they have a beautiful outdoor dining space upstairs. Oh, the space, the, the patio upstairs is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and, and uh, if you get there at 5 p.m. thinking you're going to be the first one there, it's already packed upstairs when you get there. Really? Yeah, I've been I, there I a couple of times where I was like, yeah. oh, 5 o'clock, I'm going to be the first one there. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. No seats. Hmm. Packed. That was not the way it was yesterday. Well, it, it was probably not outdoor dining too much. Yeah, they were. They were people going yeah, up. Yeah, but there. I mean. What's your taste of the week, Chef? My taste of the week is Nick's on Madison, um, up the street from where Luke used to be, uh, you know, across from Nishino. Yeah, so what's that, the, where the Arboretum cuts through? On it's Madison? the Arboretum Court. It's called the Arboretum Court. And it, there is a restaurant there called Nick's on Madison. It's been there for probably four, four years now, mm-hmm. just before COVID, a year before COVID. They have a happy hour, and, and they had a, uh, a lotus bun. What do you call it? A lotus bun, right? Lotus bun? <laughs> the bow. The, the bow, bow that's yeah, open. Sure. Isn't that what it's called? Whatever. Okay. What was in it? With glazed pork belly mm-hmm. and um, really, really very, very delicious. Everything was really fresh. Everything was, I mean, it was a pleasure to eat that, that, uh, that bun. It was absolutely fantastic. And I, I think you should put that on the regular menu and... Not have it just you know, uh, Mama Fuko made that famous, right? Uh, right. Yes. In this now, lots and lots of people serve that right. dish, but it's not often done super well. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's my point. My point is, very often it's dry. It's not. This was fantastic. Congratulations to them for doing such a beautiful job on that. 
I agree. Congratulations to Nick on Nick's Madi- on, Nick's Madison. on Madison. Okay, go check it out. It's peak of the season morel time. Uh, let's talk about where you find them, how you find them, how you cook them, all of the above. When we come back, it's the Hot Stove Society show on 97.3 FM Cairo Radio. And we're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen. We're in downtown Seattle. We've got a lively audience today. Chef in the Chapeau is very excited for the supper that he's supervising tonight. And very excited. I bet the guests that are coming are very happy, too. It's morel time. Uh, Chef, uh, let's start with a quick primer on where to find them, how to find them, how to cut them. Because when I was in Paris last, I uh, got the first-hand witness one of the foragers, one of the customers, talking to one of the foragers that had mushrooms laid out in front of him, and he could tell that the forager had just yanked the mushrooms out of the ground instead of cutting them, uh, and he was very upset. The customer was very upset. I would be too. And started screaming at him in French. I didn't have a, he was an older man, didn't have a clue what he was saying, but I could tell he wasn't happy. No. I think it's a so, criminal thing to do. You think it's a criminal thing to do? Yeah, because what you're doing is you're not allowing the next crop to come around. Okay. The, so, that's what I'm asking. As a mushroom picker, number one rule is carry a knife with you and cut the mushroom. Don't mm-hmm. pull the mushroom. So cut like you might cut an asparagus. You cut below the Correct. surface of the ground a little bit or not? Just, just slightly above the, above the ground or, mm-hmm. or just slightly in the ground. But don't pull the roots out, the, the mycelium, whatever it's called. Can't remember the name of it. But, yeah, I mean, you, don't, you want to leave that, that root system and that mold life in the ground because that will allow the next season to pop out again. Okay. Which is why no mushroom person, p- people who go pick mushroom, you ask them, where do you, where do you get those morels? And they will tell you the Olympics. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty big map. <laughs> it's not very precise. Oh, no, but can you be more specific? Yeah. No. No, like, you know, in the, in the cool scenario, I'm like, great. No, so, nobody, nobody so that's, uh, that's the first thing you do is you, you uh, collect them, you forage for them properly. Now you get them back to your, your kitchen, and then what do you do? So in morel cases, 99% of the time, the problem with morel is they're full of uh, little veins or what you, those crevasses inside yeah. the mushroom. Some people say it looks like brain, like what we're... Yeah, kind yeah. of like a brain would look like. That's what we imagine the brain to look yeah. like. The problem is those are very nice little cages for sand, and dirt. So when the, remember, a mushroom grows from the ground up. So whenever it's growing and it rains and all that stuff, that's good for the mushroom. But it splatters around, and that's why the, the mushroom fills up with dirt. So morel are actually, unfortunately, the one of those mushrooms that you have to wash. Mm-hmm. You have to soak it. And uh, the way you soak mushroom, the way you soak morel, or at least I soak morel, is you put it in a. You, first, you get your water in a big, big bowl. And then you gently push your mushroom into the water. And then when you, when it, when, after they've been soaked around and you move them a little bit gently around, you take them out of the water. You don't pour the water with the mushroom because otherwise the sand's going to go back into the mushroom. Mm. So just it like you do for... to the top. Yeah you, yeah, take, yeah, you take the mushroom out of the water just like you would for spinach. It's the same principle. When you have anything with sand or dirt you want to get rid of, you gently put it in a big amount of water so the sand and the dirt falls to the bottom... And then you pick the mushroom out. Okay, so, once so then you, how do you dry them? Then you put them on paper towel or towel on a, on a baking rack, cheap yeah, baking rack. Cookie tray. And then you put it, you, it, preferably, if you have a fan at home, the best way to dry morel is to put the fan on and put it towards the mushroom. 
it will help dry faster and so it, it doesn't allow the, the moisture to really soften down the mushroom. And the one I'm holding right now has been already washed and it's sturdy. It's stuff. It's tough. Okay, so let's cook these suckers now. What are we going to do? So then I would cut those in quarter. So you have a thumb size morel. I would cut those So you don't cut across the morel because you don't want like rings, like no. a calamari ring. Lengthwise. You want it lengthwise. Either so in half or in quarter. Depends on the size of the morel. Um, and then I would just saute them in a um, blonde butter. You know, I always talk about brown butter or white butter. This is more like blonde butter. I would wait till my butter is blonde. I would throw in the uh, morel, and when they're about two minutes into the, into the butter, I would throw in chopped shallots, chopped thyme, salt, and pepper. That's all. That's all I would do to the uh-huh. morel. And I would toss them around. I would cook them another minute or two. It cooks in about three minutes. You get three, four minutes, you get morel cooked. That's all you need to do. And, and you don't then, have to worry about worms or anything like that, right? Because well, you've, I've you've, already looked. We've already, already looked, soaked them. Right. We've already looked. We've already cut them. Yeah. Once you cut them, you know exactly like what's going on. Like porcinis, you have a little more issue with worms. Well, porcini usually, and uh, you know, I would never normally say that, but it, I always recommend if you're buying porcini in the market at the price they charge, make sure they're cut in half so you can see the inside of yeah. the mushroom. I recommend Especially that. the stem. Yeah. You want to have the mushroom, the, the bullets looks like a... What does it look like? It looks like... Uh, anyway, it's recommended to buy them cut already. Yeah. Okay, so now we're sautéed, and then what, would you, what do we do with them? So with that, you can use that on the garnish for so many different things. So this time of year, we have salmon in season. I love salmon and morel. It's a great combination because you're kind of mixing earth and ocean. That's the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. It's a very nice combination. Uh, these are usually lightly smoked or lightly... They're definitely woodsy, so... You get this beautiful earthy flavor, and then you get the salmon, obviously, sea flavor. So those two together really so you, match well. So, so we sautéed our morels in, in blonde butter. So now a little from, bit of shallot, a little bit of thyme, and they're cooked now. Correct. So are you just spooning that over your cooked salmon? I can do. It, it depends on what I'm trying to do. But if I want to do this, I would do a little dash of sherry vinegar in my pan after I remove the morel. Okay. A little dash of sherry vinegar, a nugget of butter. And then I would throw the morel back in and toss the whole thing together. After you melt the butter. And After the, I melt yeah. the butter and I've ready, you know, the, sh- the, the vinegar is to deglaze the pan, right. basically. And then you bring it to a boil, you reduce it down a little bit, you add a nugget of butter, you toss the... the emulsify it, Emulsify right? the butter into the vinegar. Then you throw in back your morel, toss it together, put that right on top of your salmon. So now you have a little bit of earth, ocean, and a little acid. So would you suggest people cook their salmon... And then start the morels, or do you want to try and do it at the same time, two different pans? Well, I would do, what I would do is I would start my salmon, I would sear it on the skin side, on the inside, put it back on the skin side, throw my, my salmon in the oven for about, it's going to be about five minutes in the oven max, you know, for a nice piece of salmon. So then um, the salmon is in the oven for five minutes, you put your pan on the fire, then you do your morel, so everybody gets at the gate at the same time. Exactly, <laughs> I like that. And then if you wanted to do it without the salmon, you just wanted to feature the morels, say, in a pasta of this time of year. There's a lot of fresh English peas starting to show up, and that's why I think that became a classic combination. Yeah. And a big classic is a roast veal with, that's my favorite. with uh, cognac cream and morel. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take so oh, you, so yes, the, please. the morel in the pan, after the, once they're, they're at the sauté stage, you take a little cognac and you f- put it in the pan. You watch your eyebrows because that will flambe the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. 
and then you put some cream in there, you reduce that down, and you put that right over your roast sliced veal. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's really good. Yeah. Um, a tarragon, tarragon, a little bit of tarragon in there, because right now tarragon is growing really nicely. Mm-hmm. A little chopped tarragon in there at the last minute. Really delicious combination. And tarragon is so fragrant, it just brings the whole thing back. You right. know? And tarragon is a, one of those things that people either love or hate in a funny way, a little bit like cilantro. Like cilantro, yeah. But um, learn to love it. It's a delicious herb. Yeah. And uh, if you were to just skip all the morels and just make a Bernays sauce, um, oh, yeah. that veal would be delicious too, mm. right? With tarragon and shallot and of course. vinegar. Bernays on veal. So <laughs> good. Oui. Absolutely. Yes, chef. Great. Chef. All right. uh, Carly Knowles is coming back. She's got a book called The Nutritionist Kitchen. We've had her on the show a few times before. We love her to death. She's out of Portland area. And we're going to have a little chat about um, rainbow rolls with ginger, almond sauce, uh, and seaweed and chia (laughs) seeds. All here on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio. Uh, Pamela is now uh, passing, our producer is passing out dried seaweed that she's just uh, had in the oven there for about a half hour. And uh, I'm not trying it yet because I I need to be able to chat. We've invited uh, Carly Knowles back. She's uh, got the book called The Nutritionist Kitchen. And uh, we have had her on the show before. And she's quite lovely from Portland. Welcome to the show, Carly. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So Hi, morning. everybody. Uh, Hi. Chef, chef has got a mouthful of seaweed, so I'm going to go ahead and speak for him. That uh, And the look on your face is not the best, Chef. What? Uh, what yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what to say about this. As Pamela says, uh, the nutritionist kitchen deserves to be on the shelf with your other cookbooks. She translates the science of nourishment into deliciousness uh, with things like rainbow rolls with ginger almond sauce and all sorts of lovelies in the book, so uh, check it out. It's awesome. Today, though, we're going to talk about seaweed and chia seeds. So, Carly, um, you and Pam cooked this up. Tell us what you have in mind for us. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's see here. I just think those two ingredients are super. You know, we hear those words a lot, super food, mm-hmm. when it comes to these special ingredients. And although those that doesn't have, like, a defined definition, what a superfood is qualified as, Basically, you can think of it as food that is just really special because it's super nutrient-dense. And so I think when we were talking, Pamela, you can back me up here. I think we just thought seaweed and chia seeds deserved a a bit of time in the spotlight. Uh, You know, being in the Pacific Northwest, we have seaweed around us, fresh, wild seaweed, and, and that's worth mentioning. The last time I tasted chia seeds, I had just gotten as a present and a, a bust of Mr. Barack Obama, and I was planting chia seeds on his head, and I tasted the chia seeds, and it was delicious. I tasted them before, when they were seeds and when they were like uh, like sprouts. Sprouts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it the oh, same? Gosh, it's remember, the same seeds. value? Of the sprouts and the seeds. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna focus on the seeds. You know, okay. the sprouts are awesome, but the seeds are carrying something really special. The, what they're known for are two, they're known for a lot of things. But the two things that I want to celebrate today is the fiber. They have both soluble and insoluble types of fiber. 
I'll spare you the details of getting too far into that, but basically for anyone that has digestive issues, whether you're going slow or fast digestively, and maybe I'll just leave it at that, uh, chia seeds are great for both parties. Chia seeds have so much fiber. They do just wonders for the body in that regard. But they're also contains a thing called omega-3s, which I think you're familiar with, the healthy fats that we all could use more of. Uh, and they also have prebiotics. So I like the seed because you're really getting a mega dose of those things. Chia seeds, uh, the sprouts are awesome too, but I really like the seeds. And I think they're easier to, to prepare in different ways. We can turn them into chia seed pudding if we want something kind of sweet and delicious after a meal or for a snack. Or we can add them to yogurt just for a little extra yumminess. We can just put them in water and drink it, and it becomes this really great kind of gel, jelly drink that's just super medicinal. I put them in my cereal every morning. Oh, but, you are ahead of but, the curve, uh, Terry. I'm, but as a chef, I must say, <laughs> you know, it's hard to um, – it's, it's an easy, ves- uh, easy thing to use because it's not very strong in flavor. So because oh, yeah. of that, it's very simple and easy to use in many, many different components. It's not, it's, yeah. you, should, you shouldn't be afraid of eating seed, chia seed because, well, the only reason that you should be afraid is they're definitely sticking to your teeth. That's the only <laughs> problem. Or if you have diverticulitis. I mean, I brush my teeth very thoroughly after I eat my breakfast, and I'm always three hours later going, oh, what is that? Mm, chia seed. <laughs> so, so, Carly, is on a chia seed, yeah. do they have to bloom in order to be soluble, like in your digestive tract? When you say bloom, do you mean reconstituted in water yes. so that they become that, like, jelliness? Uh-huh. You know, they're going to do that whether you do it ahead of time or not. Oh, because the second that. you put it into your mouth, you know, your own gastric juices start to start to do the magic. So okay. I think it's nice to, you know, they're, they're crunchy and kind of like Terry said, they get stuck in your teeth. So I think it's nice to start out. Uh, with mixing it in with something. I love to make chia pudding. It couldn't be any easier. I have recipes on my website. You can check out in my book. Um, I think starting that way would be a better introduction for someone than just taking a spoonful of chia. <laughs> well, I think, I think that, uh, again, I think the flavor is not so strong, so it's not going to scare yeah. you if you take a big spoon of it. That's what I think. And, and, and you're right. You're right. You know, one thing I ask my patients to do a lot, so I work with pregnant mamas mostly, and I ask them to put like a teaspoon in an uh, eight-ounce glass of water, swirl it around, let it get kind of jelly-like, and just drink it in a couple, you know, slurps. Right. And, and exactly. There's not a lot of flavor to it. You get all the medicinal benefits, and your medicine, quote-unquote, medicine's done for the day. So when you say pudding, uh, are you the way I've had chia pudding is literally it's just vanilla pudding that you add chia seeds to, right? So. That's a great way to do it. That's easy. What I don't love about that is, you know, a lot of the pre-made puddings have so much sugar in them. Mm-hmm. Right. So I like to mix it with a little coconut. So I'll mix all my liquids together first. I'll do a full-fat coconut milk and a light coconut milk so that I it's not so thick and it doesn't totally harden in the fridge. So I'll do that mixture. I'll add some chia seeds and then I'll, I'll choose which flavor I'm in the mood for. The recipe I have on my website, I use turmeric and I use cinnamon and ginger. And so I make this like golden melt spice uh, chia pudding that's 
and turns di- bright yellow and it's just so tasty. But you could go chocolate with it. You could put fresh berry puree in it. The world's your oyster. Or you could do fresh berry in the summertime. You do you take whole raspberries and you stuck them into your pudding as it is going to set in the fridge. Huh. It's really a good Ooh. it's a good way to do it because you get whole berries bite fresh berries. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's a good. Oh, that's a great idea. All right, Carly, I'm going to invite Pam into this conversation because she put down this uh, small plate of seaweed in front of us. What did you do with this, Pam? I roasted it in the oven, but I know that, um, Carly, what, what captured my attention is that she was teaching some PCC classes on seaweed, so she knows more about how to use it than I do. Uh-huh. Well, I have one recommendation on the one you dried out. Yes. That is to soak it first in cold water for maybe an hour or so, and make sure you move it around so you can get rid of a little bit of that salt because when you, it's a bit high on salt. It is salty. Very salty. So it's basically reduced salt that's on the outside, you know, from the ocean. So you just soak it really well. And Carly, you just correct me if I'm wrong. You don't do any damage to the seaweed when you do that. You're just taking a little bit of that salt out so it's actually even more palatable. I, I don't think it affects that much either. But you know, that it lives in water and, and it's still so rich in nutrients. So a soak is not going to do anything with it. Right. I think ultra high heat, yep. I think that's what we want to be careful about or freezing. You know, and the truth is we just don't have a lot of studies out there about what happens. But we do know with other fruits or vegetables what happens and that the nutrient content tends to go down when we expose it to extremes. But soaking, I don't, I don't think that would... Right. So let's start by what kind of seaweed should we eat? Number one, what do we have available to us and where do you get them? Because as a consumer, yeah. it's always a very hard thing to do. Is to get I get mine at Mutual Fish when I buy seaweed. Right. Yeah. But you buy them, they're already into a salad. They're already treated. I'm talking like raw product like this. Me too. So where can we get that, Caroline? Well, I will say for your listeners, you know, I imagine you have a big base in the Seattle area, Pacific Northwest. And right outside your door, right, the Puget Sound has <laughs> wild seaweed. Now, hear me out here. This isn't for everyone, but you can actually get a license and you can rent a kayak or take the one out that you have and harvest your own seaweed. It is a magical experience. I highly recommend it. I have some of my favorite stories in life come from when I've gone seaweed harvesting. One, including the time I brought back a bunch of bull kelp and made pickles out of the bull kelp stock. And then I hang dried the fronds or the, you know, leafier parts of the bull kelp. And my apartment smelled like, I said it was a mermaid's den. It smelled <laughs> like a... Yeah, the kitchen's <laughs> pretty smelly. Think, <laughs> I was so bad, and I, I was single, and it was not going to help my situation by any means, and it was just hilarious. But, you know, for the adventurous type, that's an awesome way to go. Uh, I talked a little bit about that in a PCC class I taught. But you can get some, you know, PCC is a great resource. They will have some uh, fresh seaweed occasionally. I agree with Tom. The mutual fish is great. What you're probably going to be able to find to eat most easily is in a grocery store, like a Whole Foods, something, uh, you know, a nicer grocery store, PCC, you'll find dried seaweed. And that is totally a great source of seaweed. And the ones you can look for 
that are dried would be like your wakame. It's yep. a type of kelp. Um, there's brown algae, nori. That's what we know for for um, sushi. It's that mm. really yummy, crunchy nori. I think what's really fun, some of these nicer grocery stores will have sea beans. I'm sure you've cooked yep. with sea beans before. Let's stop there yeah, for one so, second because we need to take a break. Yep. And we'll come back and talk about the difference between sea beans and seaweed uh, right here on the Hot Stove Society show, Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Back in the hot stove kitchen <laughs> here in downtown Seattle. We've invited our pal Carly Knowles up from Portland to chat uh, from her book, uh, The Nutritionist Kitchen. It should be part of your cookbook collection because um, as we get older and know more about our food that we're putting in our bodies, it's good to have a, a Bible right next to your Some cookbook. guidance. Yeah, some yeah. guidance. So, Carly, I, I had to yank you because of our time constraint uh, right out of the middle of talking about seaweed and sea beans and uh, that all the different things that we could do with that uh continue if you would please you're so nice okay uh you know sea beans i believe and maybe some one of you can jump into i don't think they're technically a seaweed but they do have a lot of nutritional benefits and we don't i don't need to get into this too far but essentially all of those the, the kelp the sea lettuces sea beans your red seaweed, like the nori I was describing, those are all actually, they, they exist in the Pacific Northwest in the wild form. And thus, if you find them fresh, you're getting them really fresh. But then if you can't, finding a dried version of any of those is a fabulous place to start. And you reconstitute them in water. Simply put, just like Kiri was saying, you soak it in water, fresh or dried, to, to kind of wake it back up again and reduce some of that salt flavor, right. the saltiness. And you can use yeah. them in soups, uh, either the beans. We call them sea asparagus sometimes, too, the sea right. beans. Fresh salads, think about putting them on fresh uh, fish tacos, veggie roast, Yum. smoothies, omelets, stir fries, because they add a little umami quality, right? It's right. that uh, kind of ocean salty umami You said omelet, quality. and I was like, maybe not for me. <laughs> really? Which one did you? I don't know. I don't know. You know what? I love sea, be sea beans. I've used them for many, many years. But in an omelet, I'm not. I don't know. Why not? I'm not. I'm not picturing well, that. I'm not picturing French. that being hear satisfying. Here, let's hear what Carly has to say, Chef. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna jump on on this with Tom because I think you could make. So you know, something I work on with patients is reducing sodium intake, for example, or trying to help lower blood pressure. And so we're, we talk a lot about salt and natural salt versus sodium. And again, we can just go deep into all these subjects. But what I want to say is with eggs, you know, something, if you were to make like a nori salt or literally what I've seen people do, I've never done it myself, but I've seen people grind up nori, that really dry, great sushi paper, you know, that they make yeah, sushi yeah. with, grind that up and use it like salt. Yeah. So you sprinkle it over. You you don't use actual salt. Mm -hmm. I know that makes some chefs cringe, but sprinkle it on. I bet that would be good on eggs. I yeah, actually have a nori salt in my cupboard. I do have one. That actually exists. Well, there, I don't remember yeah, who makes it, but I know it exists because I have one. Well, there's the classic Japanese yeah. uh, condiment called togarashi, which has right. got nori in it, chili peppers. But I think the, the nori in that gives the umami and the salt. Correct. Kind of, quality to it 
Yeah, no, so it's good. Put it on some popcorn, yum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, let's uh, let's jump from there into our microbiome and how do we influence <laughs> I love it. it. I know it's it's hard for me to even describe these things because there's nothing micro in the world about me. In my, Tom, in my, Tom call it the biodome. In the I like bio, that. I feel like I'm biodome. I like that. I feel like I'm the kingdom of the biodome. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's so good. And when we meet in person, Tom, which we must do in the near future, I am like the opposite. I'm this tiny little teeny thing, very short. So we'll be. You'll be the. The macro, I'll be the micro. Well, I will. Just this is a little TMI, but when I was in high school, I was six two two seventy, and my girlfriend was yeah. five two ninety two pounds. So. <laughs> just yep. saying. roll over. Yeah, my husband's six three, and I'm five feet, maybe an inch on a good day. So there right. you go. All right, our microbiome. What is it? Okay, so I love that you said seaweed, and maybe you don't even know how that perfectly leads us into the microbiome, or maybe you do. Of course I don't. But let's start. <laughs> it's perfect. So we'll come full circle here. Give me a sec. So the microbiome, I love to, to talk about it like it's a city. So imagine a, a thriving city, bustling city, people going in and out of stores, driving cars, like just wild and crazy and full and diverse and just action, you know, lots of action. That is our microbiome. And it exists mostly in our small and our large intestines, but technically it exists all in our digestive tract. But the, the actions happening in the small and large intestines. And when I say action, I'm talking about trillions, trillions of microorganisms that people like to call microbiota. So maybe you've heard that. So the microbiome is the home microbiome home that's the city and the microbiota are the people the you know everything that's moving and shaking many different species of microbiota that live in this microbiome and some are really wonderful and and supportive of our health and some are not but as long as we are taking care of our microbiome they can coexist and we'll be okay when we get sick for example, when we might have a really long uh, dose of antibiotics or maybe when other things go awry, we can unfortunately minimize the good guys and the big guys, the bad guys take over. And that's when we wreak havoc on our gut. So you may have heard something called dysbiosis or your microbiome needs support or you might need help with your gut health. So that's kind of when everything gets out of whack a little bit or out of balance. But something I want to say before opening it up is that everyone has a unique microbiome. And this is what I think is so cool about the science is that the microbiome is influenced a little bit by our genetics. Okay. So who we come from, where we're going, those that DNA or genes, but also our environmental exposure and our diet and the seaweed plays into that diet that influences the gut health. And that seaweed offers something called prebiotics. Mm. Prebiotics feed the probiotics that create that beautiful ecosystem. Nice full circle there. Okay? It's almost like you did. We only have a minute left. So I think, is there anything else you need to add to that for people listening? Or is that, have we come full circle? 
you know, I'll say this, working on gut health with my patients is so much fun. So I've decided, You're especially a sick after woman, having two kids, say, Carly. <laughs> after, after becoming a mama, I really, I want to focus my energy and efforts in supporting moms, both getting pregnant, being pregnant, and after, because we need all the help we can get. And the microbiome is a really cool place to start working with a dietitian or a nutritionist. So if you want, check out my website, carlynoles.com. You can see more about what I offer there. But I want to just say to everyone, everything's linked to the microbiome. Everything we do, the way we feel, our health, our depression, anxiety, anything that, that comes with that mind-gut relationship, that's influenced our immune system so much in our life. So take care of your microbiome. Do a little, uh, do a little googling, or check out my website. Learn more about how to do that because it's really important that we we take care of it. My microbiome is in the shape of an igloo. <laughs> you can get in. You, that's the home You're that I have. You can't you can get in. Bio. You can get in. You can get out. Carly knows that nutritionist kitchen is the book. Uh, check out her website for some uh, consulting opportunities, and we'll. Uh, hope for the best for you and your biome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Carly. Coming up in the Thank second you, hour. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Coming up in the second hour, we're going to talk about Terry's indulgent uh, dinner tonight with Cayuse wines, versatile gnocchi preparations, and uh, of course, we have food for thought, tasty trivia on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. Stay with us. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen Show. It's hour number two. We're thankful that you're here. Hopefully you're planting some peas in your garden. Maybe if it's not too cold because uh, it's hard right now. It's a, it's a bit... That, that cold is a little bit uh, restrictive a little bit. Yeah. But the peas will do fine. I mean, the they peas, should already be in the ground. Well, already. we say that, but our first uh, flush of peas rotted in the ground over at the farm because it... Oh, got, we got snow, they got froze, they got this and that, blah, blah, blah. So uh, we're just putting a second run of peas in at the farm. That reminds me, Chef, uh, uh, it's, we're having a little bit of a mourning period over in the Yakima Valley because we got two snows this last week. And uh, we think wow. that the whole valley lost this cherry crop. We're not exactly sure, but between the blossoms getting frozen and the bees getting Ooh, frozen. Oh, that's very bad. Yeah, that's a bad combination. So we'll yeah, see. We'll see what happens. Uh, we have another full hour. I'm Tom Douglas, owner of a, a few uh, joints here around Seattle, including Lola, the Dahlia Bakery, Serious Pie, Seat Town down in the market. And last night I was hanging out at the Carlisle Room right across from the Paramount Theater. Celebration Room. And I'm Terry Roach, your older chef in a hat. And you're going to do a dinner here tonight uh, here at the Hot Stove where you raised a ton of money for Children's Hospital. Correct. Me and, uh, and everybody else involved. Uh, the auction of Washington Wine, um, had, uh, we gave a dinner for 20 with Caius, uh, Christophe Barron's, um, the vigneron of Caius uh, Vineyard. Uh, we donated a dinner pairing uh, the wine and the food for 20 people, and somebody purchased it. And, uh, yeah, they, they spent a good amount of money, you know, 50 $50,000 is a pretty good amount of money. It's a for good amount of money, and, for, and of course, 20. it's all for uh, benefiting Children's Hospital, which mm-hmm. is uh, bravo to them. I have not met these people yet, so I'm going to meet them today for the first time. And you graciously offered to do this here at the hot stove because 
we couldn't do it at Lule. Uh, right, anymore. you had given this away pre-COVID, and since right. COVID, your restaurants have closed, and so uh, we are going to host it here. Yes, and thanks, thanks to you for opening the door. So let's go over the menu quickly because. All right. Uh, oh, quickly, as quick as we can make it. So we're going to start with obviously. Uh, Christophe makes a wonderful champagne and uh, from France, champagne from champagne. He has a winery in champagne. So uh, we're going to start with that with three different passed around uh, little poo-poos, we call them, or you call them poo-poos. And I, I picked up on that and <laughs> I never changed that. And people look at me and they go, that's not very French. I go, I know, but it's so cute to say little poo-poos. I like I that. I don't like that word. You don't? Okay, well, okay, so for We're you, gonna pass for you, Pam, we have hors d'oeuvres. Elegant hors d'oeuvres. Elegant hors d'oeuvres. We have, <laughs> we have goat cheese. Con- Can't we I have mean, canapes? Conte <laughs> cheese. Canapes. We're starting Canapé. with Conte cheese gougère. Uh, we have a turkey confit uh, goat cheese toast. And uh, olive tapenade with hummus and pita. So those three things. Did you have some turkey left over from Thanksgiving? What made you go, what made you go that route? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. There's yeah. always turkey left from Thanksgiving. Yeah. That's not from last Thanksgiving. That's from like seven Thanksgivings ago. All right. No, just what's, kidding. What's uh, course number two? Course. So that's just the passed around with champagne. Oh, okay. So then they're going to sit down. Yeah. And we're going to start them with the, uh, you know, one of my famous signature dish, the uh, uh, scrambled egg and mm-hmm. craviere and lamb creme fraiche. Good. And uh, that's going to go well with the viognier that... Um, Caius mix. Mm-hmm. You still nice. have the egg extraction tool here? Oh, yeah. Because he hollows out the shell. It, it's the most beautiful service I've ever seen. Hollows out the shell uh, to, and then scrambles the eggs and puts them back in and a ton of caviar on top. Well, uh, yeah, the amount of caviar is up to how much cannot fall on the side. If it's me, I like to put just a little bit of caviar on top and use the tin next to it and eat with that. And the lime creme fraiche, right? And the lime creme fraiche, yeah. yeah. So that's the first course, and then from that, we're going to go into a combination of what I call um, Earth and Ocean. I was talking about that earlier. Uh, diverse scallop, you know, the uh, U10 scallop, the big, the big scallop. The dry pack ones. Dry pack, yeah. and uh, nicely seared in a bowl with uh, smoked guinea fowl next to it. So I took the breast and the leg, and I lightly smoked them on my barbecue, and uh, sliced thin, put that on the plate, and garnish with... Um, we have a few vegetables to garnish with. We have snow peas, a few other vegetables to put around. And I made uh, a poultry broth out of the uh, guinea fowl bones, made a nice stock, reduced down, a little uh, shrimp stock. The whole thing reduced down and finished with a little bit of butter and put that like a beautiful nage around your, um, your scallop and your um, guinea fowl. That should be, that should be lovely. That should be lovely, yes. Lovely. Indeed. Following that, we're going to do a uh, rabbit. So now we've had uh, scallops with guinea fowl. Yeah. Uh, we've had the egg, scallops yeah. with guinea fowl, now a rabbit. Yeah. Good. And uh, remember, this is a red wine. Uh, Caius makes mostly red wine. Okay. So I had to match the, the wine as well. Uh, so with the Grenache, we're going to do a rabbit with uh, carrot, sauteed mushrooms, spinach, and cognac cream. So uh, the uh, rabbit is boned out, brown butter sauté, sliced, and then um, sauteed spinach, Sliced uh, blanched carrots and morel. I mean, uh, so, sorry, not morel. Uh, mushroom, cromini mushroom that have been also brown butter salted. And the whole thing is with a cognac cream. So I took the rabbit stock, reduced down. Mm. The whole thing took a little while. You can imagine my house was really busy last weekend. Yeah. And then after that, following that, we're going to have a Moscovy dog breast. Mm-hmm. 
with uh, ramps, morel, and a juniper berry sauce and some sealed foie gras. So, so ramps are like a, a wild leek? Yeah, yeah, wild leek. So you get that beautiful, I guess, wilderness of onion in, in that ramp. Then you get that flavor. Mix that with the morel, which are going to be nicely brown sauté, like we explained earlier in the, in the other segment. And um, a juniper berry sauce that's made with just basically a nice veal stock, beef stock, everything reduced down, red wine, cognac, okay, all kinds of different things in it. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, toasted juniper berry. So you get almost like a little bitter to it, to the sauce that's covering the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, going with the morel and the ramps and the... So uh, damn cheese... No, after that we have an apple tart with roasted rhubarb. Ooh, lovely! A, uh, uh, we have a bourbon caramel and a cream creme chantilly, and then we'll finish them and send them away with a little bit of chocolate truffle and a madeleine. Uh, again, brown butter madeleine, beautiful, mm-hmm. fresh baked. Are you going to cook those right before they leave the madeleines? We're going to cook them about um, mid mid dinner. Yes. Nothing quite like leaving with a warm madeleine. Oh, you know who who does that so well? Of course, you know. Yeah, the French Laundry. Yes, and Daniel, Daniel in New York. Daniel Balud, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, a shout-out to uh, the winery, too. Yes. Uh, they're pro- arguably the most prestigious one in Washington State, right. particularly because they have their own vineyards, and there aren't that many of our wineries that Correct. Uh, work exclusively with estate fruit, and they are unquestionably the most expensive wines in Washington, too. <laughs> we can talk more about them when we come back from our break, uh, uh, and also talk about some gnocchi, because everyone loves a good mm. dumpling, potato dumpling, or semolina dumpling. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Thank you all for joining us. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotoro, the chef in the hat. We're at the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia. And Pamela, we wanted to just talk a little bit more for a second about Cayuse Winery before we jump in the gnocchi. Yes. I, I mean, I would have paid $50,000 for this just to eat Terry's food. But I think some of the people jumped on this opportunity to drink the Cayuse wine. Absolutely. Because- I mean, I think it's definitely not just the food. First of all, it's, you know, somebody who wants to make a generous donation. That's how it starts. And then, you know, great. We're going to have a fabulous dinner and some fabulous wine. Yes, I'll go in it. So it's it's a great combination. But definitely... Uh, if you don't know about Caius, you should look it up because it's a, they do a fabulous job and they have a standing, upstanding reputation. So, and, and the we're wine, grateful to have them in the house tonight. We didn't want to short them of attention yeah. because they're half the deal Correct. Uh, to raise 50 grand Correct. for Children's Hospital at the uh, auction of Washington wine. Right. Uh, that comes up every August, I believe, by the and way. And it's so already, already going. Go to auction Washington wine and uh, check it out. They are, I think they have the dates already picked up for this year and... And, uh, of course, this one was sold long before COVID, so uh, uh, we're sad that you don't have the restaurants. So you're always welcome to use this if you want to donate again. Appreciate that. Appreciate that, Tom. Uh, Let's talk gnocchi, potato gnocchi. Uh, This is something that we used to make at the original Dahlia. It was the first time that I really got into it so much. I had rented the specials at Cafe Sport a couple of times, but uh, we uh, love this dish. It's just simple tomato sauce, a, a Roasted russet potato gnocchi, so we literally just baked potatoes. Uh, you simply 
when you can handle them. You don't want them cold, but right. when they're cool enough to handle, you scoop out all the potato, you run it through a ricer, you mix a little flour in, a little egg in, and you gently roll them up. And uh, our particular ones that we make in that fashion are good for maybe six hours raw. Right, right, right. right. And then, so we make them before each service, lunch and dinner, and uh, they were just little pillows, little lovely little goose down. That's what they call pillows. them, little pillows. I mean, they're they're fabulous. They're fabulous, and and, uh, and the simpler. The, I mean, I've I've learned to over the year because I was the same way when I started. It was mostly tomato sauce, you know, a little bit heavier like that. But it's nice with just a little brown butter, a little sage. That's it, definitely true. That's a style, right? Where you take right. those gnocchi right out of the boiling pot of water, right. where you really don't want boiling; you want simmering, or you'll bust up your gnocchi if they're tender. Uh, but and then you put them into a pan of uh, burnt noisette, and yeah. then put a little crunch on the outside. That's Correct. definitely a style yeah. that became more popular. Pam, our, our friends uh, Chris and Re the semolina gnocchi. Yeah, I so still dream of them. Have you ever them. made that with a? No, she won't give me the recipe. So it's like a semolina pudding that you put into a, a sheet pan of sorts, a cookie sheet that she has won't the sides, and then uh, basically uh, you let it set. Uh, and it, you, she always cut them in the diamonds, uh, diamond shapes, and then she would pan fry them, and uh, they were just a lovely little. So the semolina is already in. It is, it's the basis. There's no potato. Instead of potato. It's a semolina gnocchi. Oh, wow. So you can find that. It's classic uh, Marcella Hazan mm-hmm. uh, cooking, uh, you know, simple Italian cooking. Yeah. You can find them online, all sorts of places. The other one that we make sometimes in our catering department were a goat cheese gnocchi where they were indestructible, right? I mean, they were, yeah. also- they were much more firm, and you could take them out on a catering and uh, basically um, indestructible. Right. Whereas also, the, the light potato ones are, are hard. Once you, get them, once you get them rolled, you can't do much but other than cook them. We also have done over the year the French, what we call French gnocchi, which is made with patachou. It's also right. indestructible. <laughs> great for catering, great for big parties because, you know, I mean, a, a good fresh gnocchi, you make it, you serve it, you eat it. I mean, that's, there is no other way to do it. Otherwise, the thing's going to, you know, fall into crumble. But... If you do a, a French gnocchi, which is basically made with patachou, very sturdy, stays alive. So patachou is a cream puff dough. Yeah, right? yeah, cream puff dough, and then you mix your potato into that, mm-hmm. and it's solid as a rock. I mean, it's not, once you blanch it, you can keep it on the side and then warm them up in brown butter or whatever you're doing. That's a good one to do in brown butter because it really Correct. kind of blows up again in a yeah. funny way. Yeah, And it will absorb, and it, it stays very nicely it's in its shape. It doesn't fall apart, so... You do that ahead of time, you blanch them, and then you just put it into your pan as you need them. Mm-hmm. So it's a great way to do, you know, for catering or for big batches. If you're doing, you know, 25 people at your house and you want a big, big gnocchi for everybody, that's a good way to do a recipe like that. I have an even better one. You buy the frozen ones from Tutabella. <laughs> <laughs> that's when it, uh, I was researching this subject, Fine Cooking has a wonderful recipe this month with um, broiled gnocchi with red bell pepper, chard, and goat cheese. Mm. And it goes, uh, you boil them first, mix them with the ingredients, and then it goes under the broiler with breadcrumbs. And I think that product uh, that Tutabella makes used to be the woman that owned the gnocchi bar, Lisa Nakamura, and Tutabella bought it, and it is a beautiful product that you cannot mess up. And you have an incredible dinner on the table in... 
20 minutes. Mm-hmm. You can add anything in the refrigerator. I mean, there are some good products. Pasta, I think that kind of pasta really does well frozen. So, yeah, I can see how that would work. I used to make the kind of gnocchi, the patashu gnocchi that you were talking about early days at Dahlia when we were across the street. Uh-huh. Um, but I would, instead of potato, I would uh, do mashed uh, squash. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, even and Basically, better. it's 50% patashu dough, yep. 50% squash, puree. Yeah. puree. But I didn't puree it. I roasted it and kind of caramelized it. Because puree is too wet. Like, if you try to right, right, boil right. it and like you would a mashed potato, I would say for any kind of gnocchi, it's better to do the roasting side the of it. The drier, the better. The drier, the better, exactly. And then you, you don't get a soupy uh, right. gnocchi dough. Right. I mean, when it gets soupy, you have to add too much flour to it, right? right? So it, it changes everything. Or oh, you got to spend a, you know, 45 minutes in the oven and keep moving it around. And, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a bit more of a, of a hassle. But if you roast especially in pumpkin or anything like this, you'll have a much better product to do this than if you, you, you don't want to blanch those. That's no, you absolutely really don't. Not. They're like sponges. Yeah. But the other thing you get when you roast is you get caramelization. Right. And a little bits of the caramelized squash in, in your gnocchi. I know that probably would never go for you. You're more of a no, smooth, no, no. smooth guy. No, I would, I would definitely put the caramelization in it. Okay. But I would puree the so it's a smooth texture. Yeah. I would, I would just puree it and also because it... Would incorporate even more evenly, so you'd have the flavor everywhere. But that's the only thing I would do different. Yeah. So let's go back to Pam's point a little bit that you can empty the the refrigerator, and there's a lot of shelf stable gnocchi out there right now that comes from Italy and all mm, kinds right. of places, kind of like the Tutabella stuff. Although they're in the freezer case, right? Freezer. Right. Yeah. Uh, but um, you really can. It's the perfect way to go empty out your fridge and little Eating leftover down the fridge is yeah, what they're calling leftover it. Leftover rotisserie chicken. All the different greens, escarole, kale, chard, any of those, shallots or onions or leeks or garlic. Just the kitchen sink, throw it right at it. Little bits of mushrooms that are left over. And the the gnocchi is your kind of starch center of the plate. It's your vessel, yeah. Yeah, it's the center of the plate. Put that on the bottom of your Pyrex pan with a little butter, olive oil. Mm -hmm. Put your your gnocchi, saute all your ingredients, put them on top. A little cheese, nice parmesan, put that into under the broiler and get a little gratiné. Any done. sort of herb pesto, arugula pesto, yeah. kale pesto, yeah, anything yeah, yeah, you yeah, want yeah. to puree with nuts and garlic and chilies. And, right now, and chives then, uh, are in Don't forget, use time. up your cheese drawer here, too, yeah. right? Because I keep a drawer <laughs> with all my different cheeses, and every time I go in there, you go, oh, I got a butt end of this, I got a butt end of that. And I got some cheese in my fridge, in my drawer, my, my cheese drawer. That's harder than the rocks outside. Yeah. <laughs> that piece of Parmesan I've been keeping too great. Which by the time I get to it, I'm like, I can't even grade this anymore. Parm stock. I mean, you're like, I'm like, I'm grading and nothing comes out. I'm like, that's a rock. <laughs> Next up, uh, it's, uh, you know, May 8th is National Coconut Cream Pie Day. Oh. And we're going to talk a little bit about the pie, the little pie that could, uh, when we come back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. Here we go. Two more segments. We're hanging in there with you. Uh, my name is Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. As you can hear, we have a small but lively audience here today. How was your breakfast sandwich? Okay? Delicious. Now it's Yay. time for uh, Now it's time for dessert. If you join us here on Friday mornings, I think tickets are 30 bucks. Is that right? Uh, at hotstovesociety.com. Uh, you can also get your breakfast sandwich, hot coffee. Today, since we're going to talk about coconut cream pie, everyone's getting a little 
coconut cream, mini coconut cream pie. Oh, my God. It's so delicious. <laughs> what a breakfast. And if you can't be here but you want to see what's going on, uh, join us on our YouTube channel. Uh, what is the name of that? Tom Douglas and Company. <laughs> Thank and you. click on the Hot Stove Society radio show. There you go. Very good. Thank you, Terry. I have a hard time remembering that. <laughs> okay. And if, uh, if you want to help us out, you can just subscribe. It doesn't cost anything. Just hit subscribe. And yep. that keeps us... Uh, it keeps us with our own URL that will is helpful for us. Let's talk about the pie. You know, this is a little pie that could. It's spawned uh, do, over do tell us the 33 story. years now. That How did pie. it start? Shelly Lance my, is co-author uh-huh. on my books. We worked together for over 30 years at the restaurants. Uh, she um, was one of the cooks at Cafe Sport even way back mm-hmm. before that. And we used to have uh, in the back of Sport and then in the back of Etta's, we used to have a little bakery area where we made all of our own desserts, mm-hmm. which was, I don't want to say it was unusual for the time, but a lot of people were Not getting as common. bite-in desserts Correct. and then would, would uh, parcel, parcel those out. Uh, and then when we were talking about Dahlia as a new restaurant, uh, we were just trying to think, what, what was our modus operandi? What, what distinguished ourselves? And I always liked kind of homemade-style desserts. Uh, and I, I just like them good and not with a bunch of crap in them. So right. um, we just got working on this, and I had a friend. His name was Jim Dodge. I'm sure he's still out there. Um, I had met him at the at a benefit I was doing at Dartmouth Medical Center up in uh, Hanover, New Hampshire, and we got ch- chatting, and uh, I ended up with his book, The American Baker, I want to say, and in that book it had a coconut cream pie recipe. I said, Shelly, let's try this. This sounds good. And so we worked on it, and then we worked on it so that it would work for us. Right. And we did a few, you know, this and that. But that was the inspiration behind the pie. And we just made it. And then, you ever told Jim Dodge about it? Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. told him how successful it has become? Well, we've changed it a lot since then, but it, the, it was the idea. It was the inspiration right, 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 right. behind that particular pie. And I've given him credit many times over the years. Uh, I might even, in the book, I might even say his name. I don't remember, but... That was where the idea came from, and we made it. And we all liked it. We put it on the menu. It sold out the first night, and so we made a couple of more. And you know, you know how that, that's of how course. it goes, right? Just like the yeah. little scrambled egg and caviar you're making for tonight's dinner, uh, you put it on the menu. Yeah, people ate it. They loved it. Next thing you know, you can't take it off. That's right. Yeah, it it definitely became one of those little poison thing, where I mean, it, it's not a poison. It's a it's a good thing, but it's uh. You it's know, you a little ha- bit like a band with a number one hit that they can never stop Correct. playing. Correct. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those where you like, no matter what you do, you got to do the scrambled egg and caviar. Right, yes. and you have to get through that <coughs> right. and look back and appreciate how special that is. It exactly. doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So It's like the dish I had at uh, Terra Plata, the pig with the clams right. and the chorizo. It's unbelievable, but she can never take it off her menu. Correct. Uh, I'm sure she gets tired of making it, just like you would if at home. Yeah. Uh, crab cakes became that way for us, That's right? right. Uh, they were always the best seller, no matter what effort you put into another dish. So anyway, that's how the coconut cream pie was in- inspired. And then uh, it really kind of took on a life of its own. People would ask in our other restaurants as we opened other joints, they would say, well, can I get the coconut cream pie from the Dahlia? And so, of course, we would run across the street because we were right next door sure. and bring them the pie. And then even at those restaurants where it wasn't on the menu, it became the best seller so finally, we just started putting it on every menu of ours. It was like our house dessert at right. our company rather than just at the Dahlia Lounge. Right. And we opened a little bakery based on three different sizes of the pie. And um, we've really enjoyed it. And where it's really uh, come home to roost for us as far as 
loving that pie is that when we donate it to different charitable events, it raises thousands and thousands I and thousands of dollars. I sold the pie one time sold for $2,500 for one pie. Yeah. And it's gone for much more than that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I know. But I, I was like, go keep going, Tom. Yeah. Keep going. The one time that I, I was at an event, because I'm not at nearly all of the events right, that right, it right. goes at, but uh, over $10,000 for one pie. <laughs> and, you know, it's like your dinner, right? People right. paid $50,000 for your dinner. And while it's, that's, they're not really paying for that pie, they're well, paying they're for the opportunity to enjoy giving to a cause. Correct. And that pie puts a smile on people's faces. Correct. And if it can raise $10,000 for a $50 Good pie, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got a little few smiles in the audience out yeah. there. But that's uh, so over the years, that has been a really cool thing. I, I would bet that pie is raised half a million dollars over the years. Yeah, yeah. In the 30 some years that we've been doing this, uh, because it just goes. You know, the other day I was thinking about it, I was trying to figure out, or just to have a, a little concept of how much money do you think we've raised for all different charities since we've been. In the restaurant business, I couldn't come up with the numbers, but it was, it, it was just crazy. I couldn't. I was like, "Oh my God, we're in the millions, and we haven't even, you know, started counting." I know that's been one of the tough things about COVID, right? Is that yeah. we haven't been able to donate like we used to do, right. and I think people understand, but there's you know the ask still come in. Day well, in I mean, that, that's the problem. Is we went from one day to another, but life keeps going. It's yeah. like the people who were like about to have a fundraiser. Well, guess what? They still need money to raise for the same cause than they were doing it before. Right. You know, it's not like COVID said, oh, we don't have any more sick people anymore or people in need. You know, it's like it's still there. One of the cool things about the pie is we do these classes here once a month at the hot stove and people come and they, we make the pie in person. May and, 7th. Oh, is that our next one, May 7th? And they take it home? They get a whole pie to take wow. home. So this is perfect for Mother's Day because you make it on May 7th and then it's Cocoa oh, yeah. Pie Day and Mother's Day, May 8th. So National Coconut Cream Pie Day, we actually have little hats that I think probably Pamela made. Maybe Molly, <laughs> little headbound. And Molly did it. Headpans with the little coconut cream pies on top that they wear. That's so cute. National Pie Day. So. so ladies, tell your husband, tell your friend, tell your partners, come on. Come to the hot stove and make a pie and give it to me. <laughs> so there's three distinct parts to the pie, really distinct parts. One, uh -huh. is, Number one is the crust. Of course. We always call it a triple coconut cream pie because it had coconut in the crust, the filling, and then on top, right? So the crust we make, you know how they always say when you're making pot brise, don't add too much water because it makes right. the crust tough? Right. Well, we actually purposely add a little more water. Because we want it to be tough because we want it to stand up to the pastry cream. Correct. Because, it, you know, as soon as you put the pastry cream in that pie shell, unless you line the pie shell with, say, white chocolate or something, which right, we can right. do, um, it wants to start sogging Seeping. out. Yeah. And so it stays nice and crusty. We make it a little bit tough, but it also stays nice and crunchy. And I like that because of the custardy filling. It's nice to have the crunchy crust. So that's one. Second one is the filling of pastry cream. Uh, about 10 years ago... We changed our recipe a little bit and took out some of the cream and added in full-fat coconut milk into the filling and uh, lots and lots of coconut, shredded coconuts in there. So you get a nice custardy filling. And then on the top, of course, we have the nice uh, topping of whip, vanilla whip with the vanilla beans and uh, mm. all that kind of loveliness. And then we take the big shards of coconut, the kind you see in a lot of Pamela's kind of grocery stores. <laughs> 
Wait a minute. Where do you shove them I don't know about? She loves the big, like, she likes the hippie shards of coconut like you see in... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm more about the little sweet. Uh, no, 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 no. I was imagining sweet. there was a guy in the back I'm of a Dahlia Bakery with a coconut, like shaving the coconut, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, you take the big shards and you lightly toast them till they get a nice little uh, brown edge on them. And then we take a 10-inch or 12-inch chef knife and we get uh-huh. a 10-pound block of white chocolate and we just scrape along that block until you get these big, beautiful white chocolate curls. Right. And that's the, the crowning touch on our... Triple coconut cream pie. And you do all that here in our class, but uh, you can also just let us do it and just order it online and we'll have a pie. It is more famous than uh, Famous Amos. How's that? No, it's not. But (laughs) that would be nice if it was. But it certainly is delicious. And and In our bakery, we have a lady that is in charge of the pies and have had for 20-some years, 25 years, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a remarkable... When we had all of our restaurants, we would sell uh, between 125 and 150 pies a day. <laughs> and that's when we didn't have a big catering. <laughs> that's when you come to work and you know you have a job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, the pie department. I'm not running out of job today. <laughs> well, it's it's super fun, and we're honored uh, to have a, a, something like that. You know, crab cakes are like that for us. You have the egg. What else? Yeah. Foie gras is definitely. Foie gras is definitely like that. Foie gras, which I didn't. I mean, I don't. I haven't invented any of these dishes. It's just no, well, I put my own signature on it, and I like to do it a certain way. Yeah. But, but it's definitely I become learned how signature. to cook foie from you. So there yeah. you go. And, but I'm sorry. One more thing. Don't forget to mention that one of the most famous comment on your coconut cream pie was from President Obama, exactly. or Paul Newman, uh, or we've had a lot of people. Yeah, well, Paul Newman told me that I should should serve a revolver with that pie because <laughs> you're not going to get anything better in life. <laughs> heard that one that's yeah. a good comment <laughs> when we come back it's time for food for thought tasty trivia on cairo radio it's the hot stove society show 97.3 fm hey everybody it's time for food for thought tasty trivia brought to you by rub with love spices and sauces there's spice blends tangy sauces and a perfect shallot mustard keep them in your cupboard to assist you in building out flavor profiles for your veggies, proteins, and grains. We make them right out there in Ballard at our big warehouse kitchen at uh, Serious Pie Ballard. Uh, they're available at most grocery stores like the Met Markets, Ken's Market, Three Point Store in Burien, Camino Plaza, IGA, you name it. We're in 5,000 different retail locations around the country. Pamela, uh, we're going to play this game, and it's yes. your job to make sure that I win. Oh, uh-uh. I win. Uh, but That's always like in the front you, you of my mind. You haven't been doing a good it job. It seems like you've been falling down on your job lately. Oh. Mm. So uh, do we tell our listeners how to play this game and then uh, what they're going to win? And then our lovely Diane right here is going to be our next victim. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I've assembled um, some fascinating questions, five for each uh, contender. And the person that gets most wrong is the loser. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still wearing the L on my forehead from last week. And the winner is going to get the mushroom rub because we're celebrating mushrooms today. And, of course, I'm crazy for the shallot mustard, and that would be a perfect combo. Tom, when are you going to start making a seaweed uh, (laughs) A seaweed salt. Yeah. I'll start. Yes, please. And so who do we have playing? Diane. Uh, Diane. Diane, would you introduce yourself, please? 
I'm Diane, and I love listening to the show every weekend, often both days. Nice. And uh, my team behind me is going to help. Uh, you know, that's illegal, Diane. Okay. <laughs> I like the red, too. I didn't too. say I was honest. <laughs> she's got a great outfit She's going to win, all right? Okay. All right. She's going to win. Terry Rotoro. <laughs> Let me stop. Question number one. Yes. Please describe Yorkshire pudding. What is it? It's in a cast iron. You make it in a cast iron pan. It's a dough that once you, it comes in contact with the pan and the fat in the pan, it kind of puffs up. I think that's good enough. I mean, what else do you want me to say? What's it, what uh, side dish is it? What does it usually accompany? Oh, I love to do it with my brisket. Ah, it's beautiful. Really good. It's a roasted brisket, a braised brisket. Oof. Yes, we, I think the puffing up was the part we wanted, a cross between a popover and a souffle in beef fat. Right. So you mostly got it, 0.75. Mostly got it. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. That is harsh. Number wow. two, what country is the white cow's milk cheese, Asadero, mostly seen in braids or balls from? I'm going to guess, because uh, I'm not sure, but I'm going to guess Think Mexico. So. Yes. Two for two. Uh, what is a whetstone used for? Sharpening my knife. <laughs> Excellent. Number, <laughs> number four. In wine terms, what does the French phrase blanc de blanc mean? It means that it's a champagne that is made purely with white grapes. Excellent. That's in celebration of tonight. I, I can't wait to taste it. So them. it's not only Chardonnay grapes, then it can be uh, Petit Meunier. Usually uh, it could be Pinot Meunier, Chardonnay. But not Pinot Noir. Right. And one more tribute question to you. What is compound butter and how do you say it in French? Beurre composé. And uh, what is it? It's, it could be anything from, well, right, let's use right now in Seattle. Uh, for example, in my garden right now, I got tons of chives growing. I got rib, red rib sorrel growing and brown fennel. I could take those three herbs and I could chop them really nicely Roll it into a soft butter, mix it really nicely together, roll it on parchment paper, make a nice little tube, and then put that in the freezer. And whenever um, next week I'm going to saute some mushroom or whatever, I saute the mushroom, and at the end I take a slice of that butter and I put it in there to flavor all the mushrooms. Fantastic. Five for five today. (laughs) It's my birthday. Diane, thank you so much. Diane. It's so easy. You heard, right? I mean. <laughs> Diane, number one, what is a dolma? Sometimes dolmade. Oh, dear. Like they help a mother have a baby. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it came to Often seen in a Greek restaurant as an appetizer. Uh, it's like an egg roll with, I don't know, tea? It's like an egg roll. You're right. With a grape leaf. With a grape leaf. <laughs> with a grape leaf. Yay. Egg is roll it, with a grape leaf. Um, the Standard definition is that it's something stuffed with a savory filling, but the most popular one has become the grape leaf with lamb and rice. And So, yes. Number two, what are three ingredients in the popular Cajun dish etouffee, which can include what it's served over and smothered in? <laughs> you mean over... Um, but- Yes. 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 Yeah. Chilies. <laughs> huh? Yes. Oh, shrimp and rice. Oh. Yay. Yay. Thank you. Nice job. Your lifeline. Your so team. Thank you. Let's, let's repeat thank that. You. What did she say? Shrimp and rice and peppers. Peppers. Sure. 
in a in a dark brown roux is right. the kind uh, of you have to say it once in order to win the point. <laughs> uh, Shampered rice it. and peppers in a dark brown roux. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> beautifully done. In the cheese world, what are the holes in cheese called? Uh, <laughs> like in Swiss cheese, air holes. Yeah, I was going to say air holes because it's during the fermentation. <laughs> there is a name for it. Brain? <coughs> Eye holes. Eyes. <laughs> Eye holes. <laughs> Yay! What is hominy made from? Um, I was going to say corn, but that's not Yes! yes. yes. Yeah, corn! Yes, yes believe Way in yourself. Go, Diane. Way to go. Corn. Dried white or yellow corn with the hull removed. Finally, number five, what do you call the soft fatty tissue in the hollow center of an animal's leg bone? Marrow. Yay! Yay! How did she do? She got the uh, well, um, Let's just say four and three quarter out of five. Oh. <laughs> Tom Douglas. All right. North American Indians made a spoilage-resistant snack of pulverized dried meat or fish mixed with hot fat and dried berries. What is that called? Suet. <laughs> no. Oh. Close, same texture, but this is the edible one when you're traveling. Jerky? Slaying c- cowboys. <laughs> they, wouldn't put, they wouldn't put fat under their saddle. That would come off on the horse. It is called pemmican. Of course it is. <laughs> uh, which part of the stinging nettle plant is edible? I know your answer to this one. He goes, no, no, as far as I'm concerned, none. Yes, exactly. But for those who like nettles, what part the of the leaf? Yes. Uh, young shoots and leaf tops. Please name the creamy fudge-like candy made from brown sugar, butter, milk, and vanilla, whose name is derived from the Mexican word for brown sugar. Praline. Mm, Panucci. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you said, you said Mexican? Yeah, well, from the Mexican word for brown sugar. Oh. Number four, the Jerusalem artichoke, also known as sunchoke, is not an artichoke. True. But it, Okay. <laughs> yeah, one point. Yeah, one point for Tom. What's the rest of the question? Uh, what family is it in? Uh, the Dahlia Tuber family. <laughs> Sunflower. Okay. And <laughs> what do you call the skin that forms when soy milk is heated? Uh, miso. <laughs> Yuba. Yeah. And it's a delicacy. Bless you. <laughs> yeah, <okay>. All right. <laughs> thank oh. you for playing. Tongo. Wrong. I got, I, got, uh, I think I got skunked. If you'd like to be uh, part of our show and find out what the skin of soy milk is, you can buy tickets to join us in, in the studio here at the hotstovesociety.com or watch our taping uh, on YouTube at Tom Douglas and Company. You're listening to Hot Stove on Cairo. It's uh, produced by Pamela Hinckley, Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to your favorite podcast app. Happy Easter. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful weekend. Woo! Thank you, Diane.